0: because of what Christ has done for us. You're visiting with us, that's a hallmark of what we are. We want to be gospel-centered here. We want to make sure Christ is exalted above all. Uh, Certainly, things are important, and the gospel is everything, but uh, we also want to be relationship-driven here, that everything we do goes back to that. But I also know there are some times, I'm going to put this down here, uh, there are some times that when we do life together, that when we come together, that there are things like you see on the screen. We're going to pray for what we're going to be talking about in the sermon today. And what we're talking about are are a question that came up. Can I lose my salvation? It's a very personal question. And often when we come to these times of prayer, we often pray for other churches and other things. And there's always so much to pray for. We can't highlight everything. But one thing we want to especially pray for is this, because many of you in this room, many of our regulars who are visiting or out of town this week have asked this question. Can I really know for sure that I haven't lost my salvation? Is there ever a time? Where I could be bad enough, where God just says, hit the road, Jack, don't come back no more, no more, no more, and let it be. Well, there isn't. That's the good news. We'll unpack that more in the sermon, but I especially want to pray for those of you who even seasoned Christians as you are. When you look at your sin that you have over and over in your life, and you ask yourself the question, do I really know Christ, that there is good hope and good encouragement for you. So with that in mind, would you bow your heads with me? Especially welcome you if you're online you're uh, online, we're doing audio only. Our usual sound uh, man or associate pastor is out, so uh, we're going to do our best. There's no video today. But let's go before the Lord as we do all these things to his glory and his honor. Let's pray together, and let's ask God to watch over us in this this topic. Father, we thank you so much for this time to gather. We thank you, Lord, that you hold us fast. That's old language, but it simply means that no one can snatch us out of your hand. No one can take us Father, away from the promises you've given to us in Christ, which are yes and amen. Father, we thank you as well that we stand before you, sinful as we are, but covered in the righteousness of Christ that allows us, Lord, to enter your throne room, to pray, to worship you, and ultimately to be with you forever. But, Father, that's all by grace. It's nothing, of course, we've earned or deserved. Father, quite the opposite that we deserve. But, Lord, by your grace, you've allowed it for us to move forward with that. Thank you so much. Lord, we pray this morning. I want to pray especially for anyone who's within the sound of my voice here, or there, or later on that is doubting their salvation. Father, we have to be uh, very mindful here about what we're praying. There are some who think they are Christians who truly had never come to Christ, and Father, they're doubting salvation as you drawing them to be saved once and for all, that you're convicting them as your Son said the Holy Spirit would do of, of their sins. And Father, I pray that you, excuse me, open their eyes to know that truth. But, Father, I, I, I have a feeling that the majority of those in the sound of my voice are those who've truly been saved, whether it be as a youngster or as an adult, whatever, somewhere in between, that you know, Father, that they are walking through sin at times. You know, Lord, like Peter, they have walked away. and Lord, I'll never deny you. And 3, seven, twenty-seven thousand times later, they're back again. Father, would you reassure them, as you say in Romans 8, that your spirit bears witness with their spirit that they are sons and daughters of God. Father, would you remind them, Father, that they are to examine themselves to see whether they're in the faith? Father, would you help them to hold the promise that we have heard from 1 John 5.13, that we can know for sure that we have salvation? Would you remind them, Lord, that you love them no less now? You hold them no less now than you did the very moment you called them to be your own. And, Lord, Lord, there's nothing they can do. But, Father, we pray that does not become a license for sin. We pray that our salvation, secure as it is in Christ, as he is to you, Father, would not be uh, a scapegoat way to say, well, if if he saved me from all my sins, I can run amok how I want to. Father, forgive us for such thoughts. But thank you if we truly are in you, that we are truly saved. Father, what else can we say? We ask this morning that you give us your assurance today. And Father, we don't have assurance because we walk denial. We wrote our name in the back of the Bible with a date and time. We went to a youth camp for a conference. We have assurance because your son has done perfectly and all finishing work on that cross. Father, we thank you. May you be with us today as we tackle a very important question, one from our members here. We ask in Jesus' name, and God's people said, amen. Well, before I get started this morning, I do want to just bring your attention. You can turn to John ten twenty seven. As you walked in this morning, if you came inside. You noticed that we're starting kind of a free resource table And some of these books are on there. These are completely free to take home. Uh, Five Things to Pray in a Global Crisis, Uh, The the Cross in Four Words, and Rediscover Church, Why the Body of Christ is Essential. These are completely free for you to take. We're going to keep putting out free resources there over the coming weeks, so feel free to take advantage of those as you do. Will you find your way to John 10, 27, and 30? And uh, I I just want you to know, if you're visiting, it is our typical MO. It's our typical week-to-week thing to preach through a book of the Bible. And for probably, since early August through practically the end of the year, we're kind of doing things a little bit different. We're doing what you might call a topical sermon. A sermon that's kind of a one-off examination of a topic, and, and in this case, a real question from a real church member that was asked. And this question has been asked not only by one, but by many of you in this, this room, and we so appreciate that. So I want to just let you know that Pastor Nelson and I have met this week. We are 90% confident, I say 90% because we haven't finalized it, that starting the first week of January through 2020, what 2020 is it? 2022? Wow. How, where does that come from? 2022, we are going to be in the book of Hebrews, the book of Ooh. Hebrews. So we are gonna tackle that probably 41 out of the 52 weeks next year and bleed over a little bit to early 2023. We know it's heavy, we know it's weighty, but we know you are a church that can handle that and you desire that. So you are gonna bear with us as we go through it and we're gonna tackle it. We thought about tackling Romans and, and Nelson said, I might die before you get through it, pastor. And I said, <laughs> And uh, I said, yeah, we do take our time, but we have, we have com- committed to do our best to get through Hebrews, Lord willing, in about 14 months. And in between, we'll, have, we'll we'll hit our Easter's and our Christmases and all those sorts of fun things, but we want to primarily focus on that. So be ready for that. All right, John 10:27 through 30. If you have your Bible, if you'll stand with me and honor God's word this morning, we're going to get started with our scripture reading. We are interrupting the conversation, if you will. We are not reading the whole chapter. We're picking it up in verse 27. But Jesus is speaking in the wintertime to the Jews who asked him if he is the king, the savior of the world, literally the son of God. And this is what he says in verse 27. He says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I, notice the I here, Jesus speaking, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. And no, and my Father, who's given them to me, is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. And everyone clapped excitedly and said, thank you, Jesus. Yeah. No. <laughs> Verse 31, that's not in your text. Notice what they did. The Jews picked up stones to the stone them. The truths of Jesus, guys, are never popular, even amongst God's people. But they are popular for those who have truly come to believe Jesus is Lord and Savior because those are the words of life, and you, you hold to those with your dear life for all that you are. Can I lose my salvation? A topical sermon, but one I pray is practical, encouraging, and uh, just exalting to Christ today. That's our prayer. Will you pray with me? It's good to see you today. We're going to look at seven points this morning. We will get through them, I promise. But we will get there as we do. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this this topic. We know John 10 is probably one of the dearest parts of Scripture to us. For, Father, it talks about you being the shepherd and us being your sheep. Father, all Scripture is precious from Genesis to the end of Revelation. We know that. But there are certain times you use John 10 in our lives. And I pray this morning by your Spirit. Not me speaking, not my preparation. Although, that is, Father, what you use at times. But, Lord, may your spirit speak to comfort, convict, and challenge this morning. We love you so much that we can even have this conversation, that you, the holy, holy, holy God, came down to us and loved us so much that you gave your son. Lord, we love you. Thank you so much. We know we have bill problems. We have relation problems. We have us problems. We have sin problems all around us in this church because we are humans, Lord. But, Father, in these moments, may we see your son as he is. And may we see us as we are connected to him, should we be in Christ. We love you, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. God's people said, Amen. amen. You to be seated this morning. Well, I want to say to you very straightforwardly that it is impossible for you to lose your salvation, as it is impossible to stop being your parents' child. Now, I realize in our day today that people can take custody of someone else's child. But at the end of things, whether they, the court agrees with it or not, in a good or bad way, you are still your parent's child. You may never have met them. You may not like them. You may love them to the, the, the end and back. But at the end of the day, it is impossible to lose your salvation in the same way it is impossible for you not to be your parent's child. No court can change that. You are children by birth. Once you are born, you are born. didn't know you were going to get a biology lesson today, did you? But even if you're not acting at times like a well-behaved child, you are still a child because you are that parent's child by birth. Similarly, if you don't hold on to God, God thankfully holds on to you. And if a parent is holding a kid's hand, even when a kid lets go, he's still connected to their parent because the parent is still holding on to them. If you've ever had little kids or grandkids and you remember the days walking across Walmart's parking lot trying not to get hit over or run over by the cars, You understand what that analogy is. And that's why we read, and John, thank you for reading this, Psalm 139.5. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Guys, if you're a Christian, truly, you may never lose your salvation. You know, we talk a lot about social security, and some of you are reaping the benefits of that. I don't know if we'll have it when we're around another topic, another time. But the real security we need is eternal security which is made possible only by the grace of Jesus Christ. The eternal security of the believer does not rest on us holding on to God, but rather God holding on to us. You remember Peter, when he walked on the water for that brief amount of time, who was it that made him walk? It was God. Who was it that rescued him from the water? It was Christ. He never held on to God. God held on to him. Once saved, always saved is a phrase you've heard, and that is very true, but it's only if you're truly saved. Our assurance of our salvation is based on true faith, not on a mere saying that I'm a Christian. And remember, no biblical writer has ever said anything different that makes them say you cannot know you can be saved. You can be. The warning, actually, in Scripture is to make sure you're not falsely saved, that you're not saying you're a Christian when you're really not. That is the book of Hebrews in a nutshell, especially chapter 6. So how would you live today... If you knew all your sins were forgiven, all your days were being guided by God, and all of it was secured in a future held by him alone. How would your life be different? How would your relationships be different? How would your serving Christ be different if you really live that doctrine, what we call eternal security? I mean, If you're united to Christ by faith, you're as secure as Christ is to the Father. And let me tell you, that's eternally secure. But, friends, the big idea is simply this, and Amy will put it up. Look, if you could lose your salvation, you definitely would. Just like you lose your phone, just like you lose your keys, and at times, most of you all lose your mind. (laughs) But you cannot, so you will not. If you are in Christ, you are eternally secure in him. Christian, by faith, you are united to Christ, and even when we fall, we're still united to him if we are in him. Noah fell down many times in the ark, but he never once fell out of the ark. Did you ever think about that? Isn't that great? Because if he had, he would have had to learn how to swim pretty quick, and I bet you he wouldn't have lasted very long. But you need to know that this morning. So seven truths this morning, I want you to see seven truths, a couple longer than the next. We will be done in a timely fashion, don't worry. Uh, Someone out in their car is timing me this morning. Thank you, uh, Bethany outside. Seven truths for the eternal (laughs) security I told her my average sermon was 37-31 the last five weeks, and she started her clock, I'm pretty sure, out there. We'll ask her afterwards. (laughs) Seven truths this morning. One in verse 27, four in verse 28, one in 29, one in 30. Let's start at the very top here. How do you know that you can be eternally secure? I'm just giving you the headings today. You can fill the details if you're taking notes. There is a sermon outline. You have a bulletin, bottom right corner, back page, Bible lyrics. Look back at verse 27. It's what Jesus said. He says, In verse 27, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. My sheep hear my voice. So key. God's chosen ones, his sheep, will hear not just a preacher or a pastor or a parent or a Sunday school teacher in the presentation of the gospel. Ultimately, they will hear the voice of God in Christ, speaking as it were. This is not an audible voice. I I really... You know people, we talked about this in Sunday, you know some people who walk around and say, the Lord told me this, the Lord told me this, the Lord told me this. Well, friends, if the Lord told you something that's not in this word, it's not the Lord who told you that's probably your mind. Be careful. If you want to hear God out loud, read the Bible out loud and God will speak. But this is not an audible voice, it's much louder. It's a sovereign call of the Lord Jesus Christ, by which he calls his sheep unto himself. You know Zacchaeus, Jesus said, come on down. He told Matthew to follow me. He told Lazarus, being dead, to come forth. And they all did, just as they were instructed. You were arrested in your attention to him, and Jesus called you to himself. He drew you powerfully, he drew you sovereignly, and he drew you eternally to himself. But this voice he talks about in verse 27 is so powerful, it can never be resisted. It can never be rescinded. In Mark 3, when Jesus called the disciples, if you were here for Mark 3, uh, that's been like eons ago, right? But in Mark 3, it says that Jesus summoned his disciples. He summoned them. You can't go back on a summons, especially an eternal one. He called them to himself, and they came, all the disciples. Yes, including Judas. But I want you to know it's an irrevocable call. It's a call that God has called out in Christ for all those who are his. And that's why he says in verse 27, my sheep hear my voice. The voice of Christ is not audible. But through people sharing the gospel, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. You know that, or the word of Christ. That's why it says in Romans 8, 29 and 30, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he called, excuse me, those whom he predestined, he called. Those whom he called, he justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Look, if you're a believer here today, you have been summoned by God to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And by his Holy Spirit, he's arrested your attention so much that you can't get away from it. So if you're a Christian here today, think about the time. Jonah tried to run away from God, and that didn't turn out too good for him. Some of you tried to run away in those early years of your life when someone clearly shared the gospel with you. Did you get away from God? Nope. He got you just as he wanted you. Now, is God like a hunter with a, h- a hound dog hunting you down like you're a piece of prey? No, but he loves you and he cares for you. and He sent his son to die for you. It's a call that will never let go. And he says there in verse 27, I know them. It's the word gnosko. It's a personal relationship. It's not this distant deistic relationship where God just creates you and then goes off and does his own God thing. It's not just know about them. He actually knows you inside and out. Now, that's scary. But that should also be very comforting. But the question is, do you know Christ? No, that's not really a question. But has Christ come to you? Has Christ made himself known to you? Has he called you by name? And if he has, he tells you in verse 27, look back there. What does he required of you? He says very clearly, he says, follow me. That's always the call. There's no conditional statement here. You know, God is not, a, you know, in golf, Jeff, I thought of you for this. I got to get a golf analogy in every now and then. In golf, you get all the people who are happy, and they clap like they're refined and sophisticated, you know, golf. Golf and tennis, too, like this. It's, very, it's a sophisticated sport. When you're happy in golf, you clap. God isn't looking for fans who clap for Him. God's looking for disciples who follow him. He calls them. They come. They follow. They're not going to listen to the voice of a stranger. Go read the early part of John 10. Nor will they wander away from Christ and the present sense, they may stumble, they may fall. But if you're truly in Christ, in the eternal, ultimate sense, you will follow Christ. Why? Because his voice has called you. And the same voice who said, let it be so, and it was good, is the same voice who called you forth from darkness and brought you into the marvelous light. That is the Christ we know. Sheep follow him because they know his voice. Only his voice. You know, the Puritans, those old dead guys we talked about last week for a minute, they had two ways that they said every Christian should be marked. Because back in those days, you had to mark your sheep. Because some of the sheep would get in the other sheepfold, and you had to get to brand them. You know what branding is. It's what you want to do to your, your, your kids sometimes and say, you're mine, you can't run away, you're part of our family, whatever. But they would mark their sheep. And the two marks of every one of Christ's sheep that belong to them is they have one mark on their ear. That they hear his voice. And they like his voice, Christ's voice. But also, those Puritans said, they also have one on the foot, that they follow Christ. If you're a Christian, God has marked your ear. You follow him, and you mark your foot. You follow after him that way. We're still in point number one. Are you one of the Lord's sheep this morning? Or do you hear his voice? Are you following after him? Have you heard his voice? Guys, think about how many come to know the power of the shepherd's voice, Who comes to Sunday church, but they don't hear Christ. They hear a preacher. They hear about moral religion. Friends, I want you to know this morning, it's not just of being a follower of a spiritual leader in the church. It's knowing the voice of the Savior. Have you been saved? Have you truly come to Christ? And if you have, that is the greatest assurance that you are His. Because the power of His sovereign, omnipotent voice has kept you secure all this time. That's number one. Look at verse 28. Got your Bible out still? Look at the first part of verse 28. Number two, not only the power of the shepherd's voice, but the permanence of eternal life. The permanence, the the ongoingness of eternal life. Verse 28 says, I give them eternal life. Stop right there. Look, he gives them eternal life. Notice it doesn't say the church gives them eternal life. It doesn't say the baptism or good works give them eternal life. It doesn't say a, a superficial prayer gives them eternal life. It says what? He gives them eternal life. I give them eternal life, Christ speaking. And notice here, this is not not a five-year lease on eternal life. We don't even deserve a five-year lease. He doesn't say a ten-year lease. Look, if you receive grace and you lose it after ten years, that wasn't eternal life. Eternal life cannot be undone with time. It says eternal life, a life that pertains from age to age. This is not on the screen, but this speaks to two things. First, it speaks to the quality of life. The quality of life. Long before we go to heaven, heaven came down to us. Long before we were getting out of hell, God came out of heaven and into man. I want you to know that. And the quality of eternal life is such that it goes on forever and ever and ever and ever. Isn't that awesome? That someday your life will not be snuffed out. You're not going to be annihilated in heaven someday. God's not going to get bored with you in heaven and say, Man, you've been in my house too long. It's time for bed. Get out of here. Our God neither slumbers nor sleeps. But it also speaks to the duration of life, the quality of life. But it also speaks to the duration. It's never ending. It's life that lasts long enough through all eternities. It never goes out. It's never undone. You know, sometimes in sports, these old guys who can't just give up their sport, they were good at one time, they sign a one-year contract. You ever seen that before? They're trying to make five million more on top of their five hundred million more, and we just say, just give us the bread from the crumbs from your table, and we'll take that for a lifetime, right? But they sign a one year contract conditional on performance. So if they can't tackle a guy anymore, they're not gonna re-sign them for the next year. Well, God did not sign you to a one-year free agent contract and then release you on waivers. the next thing. If you're not into sports, you just got to look all this up, all right? But God has given us through his son salvation that lasts forever, and he never reneges on his promise. It's permanent. It's permanent. He says, I give them eternal life. Only the son of God can do this. Do you have that assurance that you'll never fall from grace? He tells you that it's there. Look at the third point here. Not only the permanence and the power of the the shepherd, but number three, the the present tense of eternal life. The present tense. Look at the second part of verse 28 there. He says, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. They will never perish. I want to tell you something. I really, I I had to, well, I I had to look this up. Well, I'll save that for another minute. (laughs) But he says, I give. I want to focus on that for a second. I give. When? Right now. Right now. Sometimes we think eternal life is just when we die and go to heaven. But if you're a Christian, do you realize to steal that smiley preacher's words from from Houston that you can live your best life now? (laughs) But your best life now is not founded in health, wealth, and prosperity that you pray for. Your best life now is living out what you're going to be worshiping forever in heaven, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Your best life now is that God has saved you from all your sin, and despite your sin, he still lets you live in this world, scot-free as it were, to be forgiven no matter what happens or comes your way. We are possessors of eternal life. John 3.15, Jesus says, you will have eternal life. John 3.36, he says, he who believes in the Son has eternal life. John 5.24, Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word And believes in him who sent me has eternal life. He says in John 6, 47, truly, he who believes has eternal life. Again, John 17, 3, he says, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus whom you have sent. I want to tell you right now, Christian, you have eternal life. It's present tense. You don't have to wait to graduate to eternal life when you get out of this world. You have it right now. Amen? That's the promise of our Savior. Short point. Number four, the protection from eternal perishing. The protection from eternal perishing. He says there in verse 28, You will never perish. You will never perish. Guys, there are so many religions, aren't there, that tell you if you're not good enough here, then you become a thing in the next life. We don't believe in reincarnation. We don't believe in rededication. We don't believe there's any chance after you leave here, it's now or never. And he says, Jesus does, that you will never perish. And can I tell you what the original says here the Greek? It says you will never perish. That took a great guy to figure that out, didn't it? (laughs) Which part don't you understand? If you're in Christ, you will never cease to be in Christ. Perish means eternally lost, suffering eternal destruction under the wrath of God. But not one of Jesus' sheep will ever perish. We don't believe in a purgatory. We don't believe in a soul sleep. We don't believe that that you can do anything, that someone can be baptized for you here to get into heaven over there. We believe that it's this life you make your choice. Do you believe in Christ or do you not? That's it. He's the good shepherd. Say it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. I think that settles it, doesn't it? John 3.16 tells us, you will not die forever. But if you're here today, or if you're in the sound of my voice, wherever you are, there is a reality opposite of heaven. And I would be remiss not to mention this. We do believe there's a literal conscious hell that someday all those in outside of Christ will go to. And it's a place of, of, of under the wrath of God. I said last week, some people say it's the absence of God's presence. If it was absence of God's presence, it wouldn't be a place because God is present everywhere. He's on the presence. He's there, but he's judging. There is no salvation in Luke. In Luke's gospel, the, the rich man Lazarus went to hell. It says, and it says he re, he longed that he would he or the rich man reach out to Lazarus, I should say, and said, "Please you may drink. I can't quench my thirst here." And those are real images of what Christ was telling us about hell. But if you're in Christ, you will never perish. Amen. Amen. You are secure. Number five, you won't perish, but look at the last part of verse 28. There is preservation by Christ's hand. There is preservation, verse 28, by Christ's hand. He says here, I give them eternal life. They will never perish, and no one, here's the key phrase, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. You like playing that game, don't you, sometimes with your kids or your grandkids where you have something in your hand and they got to pull it out or, uh, I remember in high school in, in, when our small town was good at football, they're not great. They they won like three games in ten years. I don't know. They're terrible now. It's really bad. Because everyone moved to the city and they lost all their good players, I guess. But whatever. They used to give the foot the, the the running back in our little high school the football. And the running back would have to walk around Little Plattsburgh High School. And, and the goal the coach told him was if you fumble the ball, holding your binder, your book bag, your lunch or whatever, you gotta do a mile whack. It was a pretty serious thing. So you see this guy just snatching out, and guys would hide behind corners trying to pop that thing out. And a few actually did it. They actually didn't have to run the mile. But several of them, you would see them at practice in their shoulder pads out there in cleats, running around the mile because they dropped the ball. Someone snatched it out of their possession. Well, God never fumbles you. He never lets you go. He says, hey, did you notice this here? He's stacking reason upon reason upon reason and proof upon proof from every angle to reinforce in our minds that he is correct. He All he has to do is say it one time, and you'd believe it, right? But here he is again. How merciful he is. He says, no one can pop you like a football out of my arms. I've got you. And let me tell you something. He says layer upon layer that no one will snatch him. No one can take Christ's hand, eternally speaking, and pry and it open. No one can say, oh, Jesus, I got this. Urgh. You know, No one can do, do that. Kind of the strongest man. You've seen that. I don't know why all my analogies are sports today. I apologize. It's not normal. But if you've ever seen the world's strongest man competition, these guys walk around like they just, I don't know. They get out of bed and they probably creep the whole house. They, but They lift like buckets of things. Even the world's strongest man from Scandinavia, Norway, or Iceland, where they usually come from, can't rip you out of what Jesus has for you. Well, Romans 8 takes it further, doesn't it? It says nothing here nor there can ever separate you from the love of God. Satan, temptation, sin, evil, personal faults, false prophets, not ourselves. We are held in the sovereign grip of saving grace in Christ alone. Greater is he that's in you than he that is in the world. Notice he says, My hand. Notice the personal effect there. He doesn't leave it for an angel to babysit you, although at times you might think that's pretty cool. It's his hand holding you. How did he come? How did we come to be in his hand? John 6.37 says, In eternity past, we were given to Christ by the Father. Jesus said, All the Father has given me, all the Father was given to me, will come to me. Also, we are his because he called us. Look, if you're a business person and you had a hundred sheep, and 98 of them survived the winter, and the coyotes and the wolves. They would probably put you on Business Week magazine as being a pretty good business person. 98 out of 100 gets you an A-plus usually most times, doesn't it? But not our God. God bats 100 out of 100. He has a perfect record, and each one of us are individually important to our Lord. Don't ever forget that. He knows your name, and he knows it closely. Number six, look at verse 29. Not only the preservation by Christ's hands, but look back at verse 20. I've got your Bible, open. go back there. He says, my Father who's given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of whose hand? The Father's hand. Now, get this. We know by the Holy Spirit from other texts, we have a triple seal here. We know from Ephesians 4.30, you are sealed until the day of redemption in Christ by the Spirit. We know from all of what Jesus has said that no one can snatch us out of our hands. And if that weren't enough, he now says the Father holds you in his hand as well. It's like a double vice grip of eternity holding you together. He says, my Father, who's given them to me. Look, you were chosen by the Father, the elect of God, who have been entrusted to the hands of the Son, our Savior, and eternity passed, and now it's being fulfilled. And he says, is there anyone greater than my Father? Was this not the question that was asked by the rich man in Matthew 19? Do you remember that guy? The rich young guy came to Jesus and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Or when he said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus looked at him and said, there's no one good but God. Jesus wasn't deflecting that he was God. He was simply acknowledging the fact that there is no one good but God himself. And here there's no one greater. I mean, who is greater than our God, guys? Patrick Mahomes? No. The president? No. Christ's sheep are held by Christ. And as though the hand of the Father surrounds the hand of the Christ, there is double protection, a double layer. The Son's hands is in the Father's hands, and we are infallibly secure in Christ. Colossians 3.3 3 says our life is hidden with Christ and God. And eternal security is not us holding to the Father, but the Father holding on to us and Christ holding on to us. I mean, look, if, if two people walk around you, people might think you can't walk, and that's okay. You need help occasionally. But if you're flanked by two bodyguards, people are going to think, wow, you're a very important person, aren't you, VIP," And they probably won't try and touch you. But you know what? When you're held by the Father, the Son, and triply by the Spirit, Satan throws everything at you because he wants you to doubt this. Friends, there are churches who teach you that you can lose your salvation about as quickly as you can walk in and out of church. I fear for those pastors and those teachers of the Word because, friends, I don't see how you can look at this and take any Part of this. Love him with all due respect But not uh, one hand is strong enough to snatch us out of our tongues Many times when we trip, we will never fall I'm going to say it again Noah was on the ark And he stumbled and bumbled about If you haven't read about that episode, go back to Genesis 7 and 8 But he never fell out of the ark He was secure God would lose his reputation If I could lose my salvation Last thing is this, look at verse 30 He says in verse 30, that great statement They got him a raucous cheers. No, got him raucous stoning almost. Verse 30 says, Jesus speaking, I and the Father are one. The final point is this, is the partnership, the partnership of the Godhead. I'm using that word that we we tried to unpack that uh, in the last little bit of our Sunday school class. But the Godhead is just speaking of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. It's an old word. But he says, I and the Father are one. You know, in real estate, they say what? You know what it is? Location, location, location. You know it. And the same is true of Bible study. We when God repeats the same thing over and over and over again, guess what? Your ear should be doubly, triply perked up. Notice where in verse 30, on the heels of these other verses, the father and son again are jointly together in holding us in Christ. I want you to know here. That the original language is this is in the neuter. What I, I want to get geeky Greeky with you for one. When it says the word that they are one, it is in the neuter. If it was masculine, if he says I and the Father are one person, then we got problems because we believe the Trinity is one God in three persons. Who are they? Father, Son, and Spirit. Jesus is not saying that Him and the Father are one person together to use that phraseology we believe they're distinct the father's not the son the son is not the spirit the spirit is not the father and so on and so forth what jesus is saying simply put in everyday language he says i and the father have one aim one purpose one mission and one goal and that is is that we save you we hold you we keep you we want you you are ours and no one's going to take that away from you. That's what it's saying. Do you realize why they wanted to stone him? Because he claimed to be on God's level. Because he is God himself. John 6:39 and 40 and I'll read it to you. Jesus says, This is the will of him who sent me, that all that he has given me, I will lose nothing. I'll raise them up on the last day. For this is the will of the Father, that everyone who beholds the Son will have eternal life, and I myself will raise them up on the last day. Guys, If you're here today and you are struggling with whether you are a Christian, that is a good struggle at times to have. Why? Because there are so many people who think they are just because they grew up in a church, just because they grew up in a Christian home, or they watch online during the pandemic, or whatever it is. Fill the blank of, look at me, I'm doing pretty good, Jesus, don't need you. But I want to remind you today, if you're a Christian, you're not a Christian unless you have truly turned from your sin and come to Jesus Christ. That's it. All by His grace. But it's also a warning to those of you who are truly Christians who sometimes doubt the very goodness of God in your life. God, I'm back again. I've sinned again. Lord, God, I've been a Christian for 50 years and here I am back with the same sin. Look, at some point God is going to rescue you from all your sins. Aren't you looking forward to that day? I mean, let's be honest. We look forward to seeing loved ones and people who've passed and all that stuff. But ultimately, we are going to be free from our sin. No more desire to sin. No more remorse over sin. It's all laid at Christ's feet, and he's fulfilled it. But if you're here today, I want to say something very clearly to you as a Christian. Don't be harder than the Holy Spirit is on your life with where you are spiritually. Some of you make the Holy Spirit seem like a little child compared to what you do to yourself and beating yourself up in the sins that you have. Now, let me be clear sin should be dealt with, sin should be taken to the Father and confessed, sin should be horizontally, relationally taken care of, and there's consequences for your sin. But when Christ says you're forgiven, you're forgiven. Let it be. You may go back many times over in your mind and say, Lord, I'm sorry. And friends, he's not going to double, triple forgive you. He's already forgiven you. But may you take those moments and praise God for every reminder of your sin that he has forgiven you of. Don't be harder than the Holy Spirit on yourself. But you pray, Lord, give me wisdom to know what is me speaking, and oftentimes sinfully so, through through Satan and his demons and all those who are tempting me away from the goodness of you. But Lord, help me not to take for granted the very grace you've given me. I've told this story before, but back in 2005, our first Friday night, we used to go to Westport down in Kansas City in the bar section and share the gospel. There was a young man in between—well, um, it was in between uh, uh, Harry's Bar and Stools and whatever the restaurant was at the time. He was in a little alleyway back there. He drunk as a skunk, probably my age. I was in college at the time, and we shared the gospel with him. And he said, "Man, I know all this stuff. You remember this story? Some of y'all heard this before." And he said, "My dad's a pastor. I prayed that prayer all those years ago. I'm good. Leave me alone." Basically, he came to find out his dad was a Baptist pastor in a town in Middle America, middle middle of Missouri, that is. And he was hanging. This young man was hanging on the fact that one day, as a young man, he had prayed some prayer to ask Jesus into his heart, and that because of that, he got some Jesus uh, vaccine, if you will, for eternity, and he was good. And we try to encourage him to say, look, man, faith, faith you could well be saved, but you will show what's really happening in your life. Do you truly desire Christ, or are you just checking a religious box? And basically it came down to the fact that he just wanted to say he was saved because one time he prayed prayer. Be very careful. Walking an aisle, praying a prayer, saying special, magical, incantational, heaven-password words do not make you a Christian. Jesus' first words when he came out preaching were, Repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. If you're here today and you've been playing church, or you're, you, you've checked a box a long time ago, be careful. It's a fearful thing, isn't it, Hebrews says, to fall in the hands of the living God. Examine yourself to see whether you're in the faith. If you have questions about that, we'd love to help you. But I want to tell you, though, today, if you're a Christian, you are loved in Christ. Amen. You are held in Christ. And I want you to know that there's nothing that can change that if you're truly in him. Guys, we love you so much. Thank you for for letting us preach on this. Thank you for many of you who submitted this question. If you're struggling with this, would you come talk to us? I have Pastor Nelson, myself, the deacons. We'd love to sit down with you. You're not alone in this, but just know if you're in Christ, he holds you forever. Let's pray together. Father, as we come to you this morning, we thank you so much for your son our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, apart from him, we are nothing. We have nothing and can do nothing. John 15 reminded us of that several weeks ago when we talked about uh, just being secure in you. But, Father, we thank you that that same topic we talked about gets really personal really fast when everything hits the fan in our lives. But, Father, if we're in Christ, thank you for these three or four verses that we've read that have reminded us that we are saved only by grace through faith In the eternal life that you've given us, no one can snatch us out, Lord. We don't perish. We hear your voice. We follow you. We follow, Father, everything you have. At times we stray off uh, uh, off the beaten path into the woods on our own. But Hebrews 12 reminds us that if we are truly yours, you will discipline us and bring us back and restore to us the joy as a psalmist prayed of our salvation. Help us, Lord. But, Father, I also pray we don't use this as a license to go do whatever we feel necessary because we are simply uh, taking advantage of your grace. Father, we don't want to abuse your grace, as I think one song has said recently. But we desire to live Christ-honoring lives in our homes, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods. Father, wherever we are, that we are the same people we are. Help us to do that by your grace. We love you so much, Lord. We pray this today in Jesus' name. And God's people said. Would you stand to sing our final song, please? Jesus paid it all. Kind of says it all. He